Tonight I want to talk about just something, and I had alluded to it just a little bit. I think Sunday I might even said something about it because it's been on my mind. The sacrificial before the beneficial. When we understand sacrifice, you know, lots of times in our circles we have to be careful. Um, you know, the abundant life does include sacrifice. And the abundant life doesn't mean that we get, get to not do anything hard in life. How many of you know there's still hard things that we've got to do in life? And there's still things that we've got to sacrifice. And the sacrificial should always be for the beneficial. There's a pattern in Scripture. And, and I really believe this, you know, uh, we have to sacrifice for others around us. We have to sacrifice for the Lord. And, and that is a very, very scriptural uh, thing. And, you know, sometimes what we, we find ourselves doing is avoiding the sacrifice and, and claiming the promises and the blessings. And it's good because we need to have a confession of what is ours, but we don't want to avoid anything that's sacrificial uh, just because we think that, well, that's not the abundant life. That's not life more abundantly. It is part of the abundant life, that you have an abundance of courage and that you have an abundance of grace to be able to overcome and do things. How many of you know that we're called to overcome in this life? And if there's no battle, there's no victory. And if we don't have uh, a sense of overcoming, the devil, then really, uh, what, why are we called more than conquerors? I believe, one, one great preacher said this, the reason why Jesus just doesn't take us home after we get saved is so that we can demonstrate our victory over death, hell, uh, over sickness, the devil, uh, over, you know, discouragement, and all these things that we can be a model of overcoming. How many remember Job was called to overcome the attacks of the devil? And see, we're, I'm, not, I'm not claiming to be, I'm, I'm not claiming Job, uh, the Job anointing on my life. I, I, I'll be just fine if I never experience the Job anointing. But, but we learn something from Job that God's got a prize fighter. It's called you and I. And everything the devil can throw at us, he wants us to show the devil he can't win against us. Amen. Somebody say amen. I know that's maybe not as exciting as, as you know, your best life or something like that, because I'll tell you what, that is your best life when you're overcoming things, and we just need to realize that. So turn tonight, we're going we're to talk about two Old Testament figures in the Bible, primarily, and we're going to contrast their two lives, but we're going to look first at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, and we're going to find that Jesus made sacrifice before he received benefit, and it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Here, here's where the sacrificial begins. Made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He sacrificially did this. He sacrificially hung on the cross. He sacrificially was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes... The Bible says, all sacrificial. And then it goes on and it says, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Now that's in there because the death of the cross is very much not just death. The death of the cross was the most dreadful thing a human being could go through. 
And so not just death, but death by the cross. That is a sacrifice. And then it says, wherefore, now here's where the sacrificial ends and the beneficial begins to reveal itself. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and even things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, Paul tells us this, and then Paul in verse 17 says this. He says, yea, and if I be offered up, excuse me, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He was saying, let this mind be in you, this huge sacrifice that Jesus made, but then this huge exaltation or benefit that he received. And then he said, and yea, and if I, if I have to sacrifice myself, if I offer myself up as a sacrifice of service of your faith, he says, I joy and rejoice. In other words, I rejoice in that. How can you rejoice in, in, in having to make that much sacrifice? Because you know that with their sacrifice, there's a great benefit. See, in Hebrews, Jesus, it says that he was sacri sa sacrificed. And the interesting thing is, is he sacrificed so he may gain many sons to himself. Let's just go there quickly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that scripture too. And it's over there in Hebrews 2.9. And we can look at what it says that... He, he benefited. In other words, there was something that he desired when he was uh, sacrificed. There was a benefit to him and what he was looking for, what God was looking for through him. And it's Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now that's just temporarily, like what we saw in Philippians. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So that's the sacrifice. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. So he did it. He made a sacrifice. And the benefit is he brought many of us to glory. He brought many of us into the kingdom. He brought many of us to salvation. And as you look here, even in Ephesians 1.5, it says, And having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So there was an adoption of children to himself. In other words, he brought all these to himself. This sacrificial thing brought many to salvation for him. You know, we need to learn to sacrifice for the lost because there's a great benefit when we sacrifice. And the nature of Sacrifice is that sacrifice always comes before the benefits of blessing. Secondly, you know, let me just say it real simply. Like Luke 6, 38 says, give, there's the sacrifice, and it shall be given. There's the benefit. Amen. Given, it shall be given. Good measure, press down, shaking together, the same measure that you measure it out. Or meet it, it shall be meted. That means measured. It'll be measured back to you again. And men will give unto you out of their bosom. They will measure it back to you. So the, the first sacrifice is, oh, I got to decide to give something, and that's sacrificial. And then when somebody comes and gives it to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, there's the beneficial side. Now, I'm just going through this real slow and simple because uh, it, it's, it's very easy. Paul said in Philippians 4.15, 
that no, no one communicated unto me concerning giving and receiving except you Macedonians. Notice it says giving and receiving. You see, we many times don't realize, we think we give and then God gives to us. Now, we just read Luke 6.38, it says man will give to you. But we think that we give and then because of that, God gives to us. That's not exactly right. We give, and our giving changes us so that we can receive. Because it doesn't say that when we give, then God will give. It says concerning giving and receiving. Everybody say receiving. We're in charge of receiving, not God. When the UPS man comes by and knocks on the door and he needs to have you sign for the package, that's you receiving the package. That's not the person sending it. You know, you got a big, you know, we used to have these satellite dishes. And then you've got the satellite. And the satellite is always sending its transmissions down. But the dish is what we, what did we used to call that? The receiver. Everybody say the receiver. See, we are giving and receiving. Now, I find that when we give and when we're willing to humble ourselves and, and give, then what happens is we, we really humble ourselves and make ourselves able to receive. Because I believe this, if a person only received all the time, they wouldn't know what it was like to give. And if you, and if you just receive, you know, uh, you may not be able to handle what God is giving you. See, it says the prosperity of a fool will actually destroy him in Proverbs 132. Prosperity, or one th maybe it's 130. It's there at the end of the first chapter of Proverbs. It says the prosperity of a fool will destroy him. See, but when we give, there's something about that. That starts changing us on the inside. It starts humbling us. It starts changing our hearts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's why we have to learn to give. And our giving changes us on the inside. It doesn't change God. How many of you know you're not twisting God's arm just because you're giving? Now, I gave now. I'm twisting your arm, God. You got to give now. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Now that I'm giving, I'm starting to realize some things. I'm starting to experience some change in my character, change in my generosity, change in, in not being material-minded. There's something changing in me uh, that, that's more about giving. And then, see, then I can start receiving because now God can trust me to give more. Why would God give it to you if you weren't going to use it for good purposes? So he said, now concerning giving and receiving, he wasn't talking about us giving and then God giving to us. He's talking about us giving. And then when we're able to receive, God releases what he's already provided for us. That's a proper way to look at that. Sometimes I think we get a little bit confused on that, and we don't realize that uh, we, we can get a little bit off. It makes us able uh, to receive. And uh, I, I think we need to just trust uh, God and just believe that he's going to bring to us when we do change our heart that way. The rich young ruler, Jesus, it says, Jesus loved him, loved him and said unto him, now, he said, now, I've kept all the commandments ever since I was a little kid. I've done them all. Some people even believe that he was maybe a ruler of the synagogue because he was a rich, young ruler. And ruler could have been political or it could have been spiritual. And we see that he 
was told that, you know, I, I, he thought, well, I've kept all these commands. What must I do to be saved? And he said, you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And it says he was very disappointed. And he, he was, you know, he wasn't ready to make that sacrifice. But do you, how many remember when you go on down? Now, that's in Mark 10, verse 21. How many remember what it says in verse 29 through 30? Jesus came back when his disciples said, you've got to explain that one to us, Jesus. Because we in the Jewish culture think when uh, you've got a lot of money, that's God's approval. Because Deuteronomy 28. Well, most of the time, lots of times it is God's approval, but not always, because sometimes there's treasures of wickedness involved. Somebody say amen. It's not always God's approval. In one place over there in Timothy, it says some will equate uh, you know, wealth with godliness, and, and it says that that's a very perverted and twisted doctrine. And so... Uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes, it, it, you know, if the guy's rich and he's a drug dealer, how many of that, in that case, it doesn't prove that he, that's God's blessing on his life. It's, it's just proof that he's a crook. And so we, we've got to realize that. But he said, anyone who's left family and farms and lands for my sake will receive 100-fold in this life. Everybody say, in this life, and the world to come. See, now, that rich young ruler, he was not willing to make the sacrifice. And therefore, he didn't understand that there was a benefit. And after he left and had made the commitment not to follow Jesus, or the lack of commitment, Jesus declared that anyone who has left family, who has left farms, who has left brothers and sisters, who has left lands, says we'll receive 100-fold in this life. Now, I've seen that happen a few times. I've seen that happen. But it's pretty rare. You know, I've seen certain ministries that have been super abundantly blessed. And, and, they've, and they've had difficult things that they had to do in the beginning. And God has abundantly, exceedingly uh, blessed those ministries. And sometimes we don't realize the sacrifice that they've made. But there's been a sacrificial uh, effort made. And then there's this great beneficial all right, let's go on to Matthew 25 and 28. We're just talking about the principle. Now I'm going to give you a couple of really tangible examples in the Old Testament. So turn to Matthew 25. And we can see that this principle just keeps showing up in the Scriptures, that our sacrifice will be rewarded with great benefits. There's great benefits it tells us to bring the sacrifice of praise. How many of you know the Bible says bring the sacrifice of praise to the house of God? How many of you know the Bible also says don't forget all of his benefits? Yeah. I can find in the New Testament things that talk about sacrifice. Make your bodies a living sacrifice unto God that you might be able to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you want to find the perfect will of God for your life? Well, the sacrifice comes before that benefit. Making, you know, renewing your mind, making your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, that you might be able to prove that good, that acceptable, and that perfect will of God. See, first there has to be making our body a living sacrifice. Really, you know, renewing your mind is a sacrifice of putting down your old way of thinking and forcing yourself to replace it with a new way of thinking. Putting your flesh under, not letting it rule you, not living by what you taste, what you, you see, hear, taste, and touch. And it's about living from the word of God and the spirit of God guiding you, those take sacrifices 
But then the benefit side is always finding the perfect will of God. In God's perfect will, there's blessing, and there is prosperity, there's healing, there's everything that we need. But let's look at that in Romans 25 and 28, and look what it says, and it says, And take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. Now we all know the story. There's one who had five, and there was one who had three, and there was one who had one talent, and the one with five doubled, the one with three doubled, and the one with one sat on it and didn't do anything. He made no sacrifice. He sat on and did, buried it and did not do anything with it. Now, here's the strange thing. Take, therefore, that talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For everyone that hath shall be given. And he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not, it shall be taken away, even that which he hath. Now, you look at that, and I'll tell you, with our, our present-day welfare state, our present-day entitlement mentality, our present-day current liberal socialistic political state of affairs, we reward people according to the, the less that they do. Now, we just read out of our, um, what's our Bible called? Founder's Bible this morning, and it was, who was it? George Washington talked, or was it Franklin? Franklin. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin talked about taking care of the poor. And he said, you know, in the Old Testament, they never just gave stuff to the poor mass wholesale unless they were widows, orphans, or debilitated. What they did is they left grain in the field, and that's called gleaning. So when you went through your field and you picked your corn... And whether you picked your grapes or your corn or your vegetable or your fruit, whatever it was, you went through one time and you didn't look back to see if you missed any. And that was by command of God that you went through it and you didn't go back and check it. It says the olive tree, once you shook the boughs, you didn't go back and shake them again and try to get more. You purposefully left olives in the trees. You purposefully left the, the grapes on the vines and the other fruits and vegetables as to how they grew, you left and you didn't pick those. You just went through the first time, and then you knew that you never... You know, I, I know by detasseling corn, you, you'd go through those fields, and those kids would go through those fields. And you'd swear, you'd, you'd put your hand on a Bible and say, I got every single one of those tassels. I pulled all of them. And I'd say, come back here. What about this one? Okay, you didn't get that one, did you? And what about this one? Oh, and you didn't even notice this one right back here. How many of you know, lots of times you go through and you think you've got them all, but you don't. So God said, go ahead, go through. Try to get them all, but don't go back. Because then the poor had to go out and they had to harvest it themselves. They had to harvest from other people's plantings. They weren't just to be given, but they had to learn to work because he that does not work shall not eat. How many know that's what the Bible teaches? And so that was the way that the poor could be given to in an indirect way by which they also had to work for it. Therefore, teaching them that work and all work is benefit or prosperity or blessing. And that's what the Bible says. In all work, there is profit. And so they had to learn that. And so uh, th there was here the benefit uh, of those who had worked and sacrificed, those who went out and doubled their talents, they were then benefited after they were sacrificed, their time and their talent and their treasure and everything, then they benefited. But those who don't sacrifice 
were not benefited. They were actually rebuked. You know, we must first work and save our money first before our we can make our money work for us. We have to work for our money first, then our money will work for us. See, that's the part of the sacrifice. You know, we work hard. We go to work 40, 50 hours a week. We take home a certain amount. We save a certain amount. We tithe a certain amount. And that's what the Bible, basically the Bible says save 10%, tithe. First tithe 10%, save 10%, then pay your bills. And then if there's any money left over, no more than 10% just for spending on fun things, just blowing it. I wouldn't say blowing it, but just buying stuff, whatever. That's basically the biblical precedent for that. And so we, we need to understand that when you save your money, you have to work for it first, but then you put it into a, some type of a savings account, you put it into some type of an investment, you buy a house, you buy some land, and it increases in value, and you used to work for your money, but now your money's working for you. See, that's the sacrifice before benefit. Many things are like that. We, if we take it easy now, we'll have it hard later. If we work hard now, it'll be, e it'll be easy later. A lot of people don't. If you take it easy now as a young person, you, you don't do the hard things. You don't get the preparation. You take it easy now. I'm going to tell you something. You, you get to be 60, 70 years old, it'll be hard later because you'll feel a lot, less, a lot less like working or going to school or whatever the Lord's telling you to do when you're 60 and 70 years old than you did when you were 20 years old. See, if you take it easy now, it'll be way harder later. If it's hard now, and, and you get that schooling, or you work at that job, and you stay diligent, and you put in those hours, and you, and you go the extra mile, and it's hard now, it'll be easy later because it'll compound. You'll, you'll go up the ladder. You'll, you'll save more money. You'll have more experience, and everything will work for you if you put the hard first. You know, the Bible says that a man is to buy his farm ground first and then build his house. Why is that? Because a house consumes your money. Your farm ground produces your money. David was told to build the house of God before he built his own house. See, you need the financial engine invested in first and then that which consumes your finances. How many of you know, even though a house may increase in value, it still consumes a lot of your money. And so the, the, there's that principle again sacrifice before benefit. And many times we get into a deceived mode that we don't want to make the sacrifice. Now, that's true with finances. Uh, it, it's a lot of things. You know, David says that sacrifice is a heart issue in, in Psalms 52, 16, 17. Now, that's a good scripture. I'm going to read that. And when you look at that, you can see that David was talking about how he had just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's getting restored back to God. And he's saying, you know, just natural, physical sacrifices aren't the only type of sacrifice that God's looking for. Psalm 52, 16, 17, it's, all, it's, it's the greatest chapter in the Bible about repentance. It's the most comprehensive and insightful, uh, you know, group of verses in the Bible about repentance. And look what he says there. In Psalm 52, 16, 17, he says, And for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and excuse me, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. So sacrifice starts with the heart towards God. And of course, he says, don't forget all of his benefits. But sacrifice starts with you and the way that you approach God. So let me talk about three things that will be affected in your life by whether you live a life that goes for the benefits 
or puts in front of you the sacrifices. Because let me tell you something. It's easy to want to just live the life of benefits. You know, I've seen some Christians, they've tried to confess prosperity. They've tried to confess benefits. They've tried... You know, I'm blessed coming in, I'm blessed going out, I got, you know, I'm a millionaire and I got, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and, and they're the brokest person in the church. And I think, now wait, wait a minute, what's wrong here? Their confession is right. Their believing is right. What they're saying is exactly lining up with the Word of God. What they're believing lines up exactly with the Word of God. But then I look and I, and I see... But they don't want to make the sacrifices. That the, how many of you know you've got to take in the whole counsel of God? You, you, you've got to be willing to do the things the Bible says. There's three things that will uh, be affected in your life by your sacrifice or your lack of. And it's the kingdom, which is souls, and therefore your eternal reward. You know, our people that we lead to the Lord, the Bible says, will be our crown of rejoicing. We won't rejoice over how much money we made. We won't rejoice whether we got a PhD or not. We won't rejoice whether we've got that address out at the golf course, the most prestigious you know, neighborhood in town. We're not going to rejoice if all of our kids went to college. That, that, that's not going to be our, our crown of rejoicing is those people that we sacrificed and brought them into the kingdom of God. That's going to be our crown of rejoicing. So number one, the things that uh, will be affected by our sacrifices, number one, the kingdom. Number two, your family. Your family and children will be affected. Your, your spouse, I should say, and children will be affected by the amount of sacrifice that you make. How many of you know good parents sacrifice for their kids? Amen. We've had to sacrifice. We, I, I always say we could have had our house paid off a long, long time ago if we hadn't sent our kids to the Christian school. And, and we, we could have had a lot more money in, in savings and retirement if we wouldn't have sent our kids to the Christian school. But I don't regret one penny that for their education sending them to the Christian school. Because I'm okay with sacrifice. I don't have a problem with sacrifice because I know that Jesus sacrificed for me. I'm going to sacrifice for my children. I'm going to sacrifice for the lost. I'm going to sacrifice for the church. I'm going to sacrifice for the saints of God. I'm going to make sacrifices because one day the benefits are going to come rushing in and overtake me. And they have for many years. I'm not saying one day like it hasn't happened because it has happened in many ways. And then... Another thing that will be affected is your resources, what God allows you in, in the realm of maybe finances or just resources to be a steward over. And there's two examples of this in the Bible. And, uh, but first of all, we need to seek first the kingdom. All three of these things will be, if we don't seek first the kingdom of God, if we don't make the sacrifice for the things of God, those three things can be affected. The kingdom itself and our, and our rewards in it, our family, and resources in our life. I believe this principle in Matthew 6.33 is one of the greatest principles in all the Bible. Where it says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Now many people don't always think, well, you know, what does that mean, Pastor Bill? Seek the well, I believe that the kingdom is going to require us to sacrifice some things. The kingdom is going to also bring great blessings into our life. And the kingdom, as you sacrifice for it, and we put it first, all these things will be added unto you. Let me, let me give you a little example. How many remember the widow of Zarephath? 
The widow of Zarephath was commanded by God to feed Elijah the prophet. Now, you think about that. Elijah was up there at the brook. What was the name of that brook? Cherith? The brook Cherith. And the ravens were bringing him uh, food. Dr. Barclay used to say, yeah, those ravens were going down. Jezebel was out on her veranda eating breakfast, and those ravens ran, were flying by, and they grabbed the bacon up off of her t- plate and, and then flew over and dropped them over to Elijah. The wealth of the wicked was laid up for the righteous. But the ravens brought him food. Now, by the brook of Jezebel, how many of you think that's a pretty amazing and supernatural way to be taken care of? And God caused the brook to drop because they were in a three-year famine. And he says, now I've commanded a widow woman to take care of you. So now you need to go down to Zarephath. You'll find her down there. And, and you need to go down there and, and you need to uh, let her take care of you. Well, how many of you know that would be really humbling for the man of God? Here's a widow woman. Now, Lord, couldn't it at least been a rich woman? Uh, you know, couldn't it have been maybe a, a rich man? That, or even a woman who still had her husband, but now, now you're giving me a widow, you're giving me this woman who doesn't have any money, and, and I'm supposed to depend on her. God, just let me go get a job. That'd be a whole lot easier. Because that makes me look like a real heel. How many you know that'd be a hard thing to do? That'd be really a hard thing to do. I wouldn't want to do it. He goes down there, and there she is. And she's not making any effort to take care of him. And so he walks up to her and says, Can I, why don't you get me some water and, and, and a little, you know. And she says, well, me and my boy are sitting here. We're going to eat this last little piece of uh, meal and this last bit of oil. We're going to put it together. We're going to make us some cakes. We're going to eat those things. That's a woman of great vision. And then we're going to die. Okay. Let me see sacrifice before benefits. God wanted her to sacrificially give. And, and then the prophet says, and I bet it was hard to say, give it to me first. You know, if you did that today, to a, said that to a woman in, group, in front of a bunch of people, could you imagine, guys, what would be done to you? In our man-hating, masculinity-hating uh, feminist culture that hates anything that even in the least bit would imply, uh, you know, any type of submission or, any, or anything like that to any type of authority structure. Yeah. And he says, lady, give, give me some first. She's thinking, no way. We're dying. Then, you know, but you got to remember, God had told her to do that. And so basically he says, make the sacrifice. And then he says, the word of the Lord came and said, if you'll give to the, seek ye first, the kingdom, everybody say, first, kingdom first, me second. The prophet represented the ministry. Kingdom first, me second. Boy, she really had to see if she really believed that stuff. Thus saith the Lord. Make the meal, give it to him, and your meal will never run dry. She made the sacrifice. She repented. Thank God she repented. Amen. She would have died. Her son would have ate that day and died. Then the prophet, who knows, he might have died. Well, God probably would have taken care of him because he was being obedient. And so she made the sacrifice, and the benefit was the oil and the meal never ran dry for three years during the famine when everybody else was dying. 
How many would say that was a sacrifice? How many would say that that was a benefit as a result of being obedient and sacrifice? Let me tell you, it'll affect the kingdom. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your resources. We're going to look at Lot and Noah. And the Bible says in the last days that it'll be like it was in the days of Lot and it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And God extracts these two Old Testament characters out of all the Old Scripture, excuse me, Old Testament Scripture and says, you want to know what it's going to be like when I return? It's going to be like when these two dudes were around. Turn over there, Luke 17. And we're going to look at something very bizarre and very provocative. Two examples in the Old Testament. One who didn't want to seek first and, or sacrifice for the kingdom and one who was, was willing to sacrifice and put the kingdom first. One who just wanted the benefits of life. He went straight for the benefits, not none of the sacrifice. Big mistake. He went after the benefits in life. He was going for broke. He wanted the best for himself. He wasn't willing to sacrifice. Jesus said, we'll begin in verse 25, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected, talking about himself of this generation. Jesus had to be rejected by his generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also in the days of the Son of Man. In other words, when he returns. Because the whole question is, what's it going to be like when you return? They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, it was as in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. And the same day that Lot went out to Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So people will be too busy to repent at the preaching of Noah. They'll be too busy uh, when Lot tries to warn him there's fire coming, there's judgment coming, and, and it's going to be very similar to that in those days. And Jesus compares these two. So let's look at Lot, and let's look at the one who didn't want to make any sacrifices. Genesis 13, 8 through 13. Now, we all know the story. Genesis 13 starts out saying that, you know, Abraham was very rich. He had many cattle. He had much land. He had all this stuff. That He was this very, very wealthy man in him, and he took on his nephew Lot. And Lot traveled with him, and they were prosperous together, and Lot's herds grew, and Abraham's herds grew, and Lot had a lot of employees, and he was kind of like this big rancher, and, and Abraham was a big rancher, and it got to the point where there was almost too many and, and too much, and there was beginning to be signs of strife between them, and uh, it says in verse 5, we're going to go to 13 and 5, and Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Wow, and then it talked about some strife. And verse 8, it says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray, from me, if thou wilt take the left hand, and I will go to the right hand. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, 
even to the garden of the Lord. In other words, it was like the garden of Eden. I mean, this place was the best land by far. There was nothing like it. It was well watered, you know. When you look at the Garden of the Lord, it talked about the different rivers that ran through it and all the silver and the gold was there and, and all the garden was watered by these rivers and, and it was this perfect paradise. And it was even as the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plains and pitched his tent towards Sodom, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners, and before the Lord, before the Lord exceedingly. Now here we've got two men. Abraham says, "I'll give you the choice," and Lot says, "I will take the best, and I will take the most, and I will go do that, and I will go to the worldly city. I will go where all the happening stuff is." And he just basically, he didn't want to seek. First, he didn't want to, you know, how many of you know Abraham was the covenant man? How many of you know Abraham was the man of faith? Abraham was the one that he should have been seeking his welfare. He was the underling. He was the nephew, not the uncle. He was the one who benefited and got all of his cattle and all his stuff from Abraham. Abraham didn't get it from him. Abraham was the greater party. Abraham was the elder. Abraham was the man of God. Abraham was the mentor. He was, he was the protege. Abraham was the one who had a covenant with God. Abraham was the one whom God then gave the land to. And yet, here he's acting like the greater party. And he says, ah, I'll take all the best. You know, I think Abraham was expecting him to say, I'll take the lesser and, and I'll be the more subordinate. I'll take the humble position. And, and instead of putting the man of God first, instead of thinking in terms of how can I honor him, he dishonored him and basically says, I'll take the best, like I'm the superior, and I'll leave the rest for you, Abraham. How many of you see that there's something wrong with that? Yeah. He went straight for the benefits. It's all, it's all about me. And he didn't, you know, he could have sacrificed, says, you know, I know that you're, you're the man of God. You're, you're the, uh, the one who's in covenant with God. You're the one who's the father of faith. You're the one who gave me everything I have. You're the one whom, you know, I've been following here, and you've been making me rich, and, and all these things. And so I'm just going to let you have the better. See, but that didn't happen. He didn't make the sacrifice. So we can see that uh, it affected him in his choice. Now, I believe this. Even the commentaries, I read a lot of commentaries on this. And every commentary said that what was being really displayed here was an incredible act of selfishness. And numerous commentaries said that. He clearly took the best lamb, land for himself. And he did not put the kingdom first. He did not put the man of God first like the widow of Zarephath. He did not do this which was right, but he went for the benefits. How did it affect Lot's family? Let's go to Genesis 19. I'll tell you what, when you don't make sacrifices and you go for broke, lots of times that will destroy your own family. Genesis 19:14. The angels come. They warn. They said the city is going to be destroyed. The city was overtaken with homosexuality. When the angels came, the people of the city, the men of the city saw it. The men that were all the way from young to old came and they pounded on Lot's door when he had those angels who'd come 
to warn him and then he, the people, that there is going to be destruction. And who did he send out and say, I'll give you my two daughters? How many of you right there know there's something wrong with that family? I'll give you my two daughters to gang rape. Hmm. Something's wrong with that family. And then you go down to verse 17, I mean 14. It says, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. How much credibility do you think he had with his sons when he was willing to turn over their wives to a, a mob of, of homosexuals to gang rape them? Wow. So his sons just mocked him and said, when did you get God, Lot? Dad, father-in-law, when did you get uh, religious on us? You know what? We just... You're just mocking it. We, we don't. They didn't leave the city. Then you go down a few verses later. In verses 17 and 26. 17 it says, don't look back. You'll be turned into a pillar of salt. And then we go to verse 26 in Lot's wife. But his wife looked back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. He had two sons that didn't want to leave Sodom. He had a wife who came out of Sodom. But I think she had such an affection for it, she had to turn around and look. Even when she was warned, if she did it, she'd turn into a pillar of salt. Of course, she didn't have faith. So he got a woman who came out of Sodom, but her heart was turned back towards Sodom, and she was destroyed. She became a pillar of salt. Now his two daughters came out, and we know the story with them. The daughters, they came out, but after they came out of Sodom, they got lot drunk, and they molested him and slept with him, had sex with him while he was drunk. And they purposefully got him drunk for that express purpose. How many of you say we got a little bit of a dysfunctional family going on here? But when you choose the benefits and not the sacrifices. Now hold on with me. This is all going to come together in a little bit. And now let's look at his resources. What happened to Lot's resources? Well, we can see there in, in Genesis 19, it says... And verse 1, and there came two angels to Sodom at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. If you sat in the gate, that meant that you were a judge. And later on in verse 9, it talks about uh, how they were mad because they said, because you act as a judge over us. He obviously was a judge. We see that when the homosexuals pounded on the door, it says, of his house. So we know that he had a high-ranking position in Sodom. He obviously had a big name in Sodom. He obviously had a position of prestige, probably a job that paid a lot. He owned his own house. And not only that, but we can see in verse 24, it says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven and overthrew those in the cities. Everybody say cities. And all the plain. Everybody say all the plain. Oh, that well-watered plain that was like the Garden of Eden. And all the plain and all the inhabitants, that was probably his labor force. You got to remember, Lot was rich and had many cattle. He had many sheep and he had many herdsmen. So not only did he have a big job in the city as a honcho, 
Not only did he own a house in the city, but if, we, if we're not careful, we might forget that he owned a lot of livestock and he had a lot of herdsmen. And Abraham and God gave him the entire plain, that whole valley down there. The plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, that was probably maybe his workforce, some of that. Where did all those herdsmen live if they followed him down into that part of the country? And so the cities, all the plains, therefore all the people, all the livestock, everything that Lot had compromised and went for the benefits instead of the sacrifice, everything, I mean, his job, his house, his livestock, obviously, his entire plains, all the people that lived there, probably all of his workforce, everything that Lot had ended up being utterly destroyed. When we were over in Israel, we went by the area that they do believe to be Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you ever been in Israel and seen the area where Sodom and Gomorrah was? It's all black, charred rock. Nothing could grow there. You couldn't graze any animals there. You couldn't build houses there without a lot of really heavy construction. Movement. And nothing is there even today. Because he went for the benefits. He went for self. He went for what benefits me. He did not go for the sacrifice. Let's, let's go look now at Noah. Let's look at the absolute antithesis, who's somebody who went for the sacrifice and none of the benefits for himself. So he lost his family. His, his daughters got out of Sodom, but he couldn't get the Sodom out of his daughters, and they raped him after they got him drunk. His wife wouldn't go with him. She turned back and was unfaithful and wanted Sodom. His son-in-laws didn't even want anything to do with him. They didn't want to leave Sodom at all. He'd given his daughters over to be gang raped. I'll tell you what, this, this guy who chose what he wanted, you know, I did it my way. He could sing that. Let's go to Noah, Genesis 6 chapter. Now we see the absolute opposite side of the coin. A guy who is willing to sacrifice for the kingdom and not grab at the benefits for himself. And he's the exact opposite of Mr. Lot. Genesis 6, 13 and 14, we've all read it. And it says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Same thing. He, he warns him, I'm getting to destroy the earth because it's become so wicked. Just like Lot, he says, I'm getting to destroy, I'm getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it's so wicked. And now we're going to have a very different response. And so make thee an ark of gopher, of gopher wood. And then he goes on all how to make this ark. And he goes into great detail how to make uh, the ark. And that's how make the ark, and it shall be with pitch, without, and with within and without with pitch. And then he just goes into great detail and tells him how he wants that thing built. Then in verse 18, he says this, And but with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, everybody say, thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. See, this is a you and your house deal. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And every living thing, and he goes on, he talks about all these things we're going to take in our... And then verse 20 says, and take thou unto thee all the food, and he tells them everything. And then in verse 22 is the key point. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him to do. So God comes down and says, I got some church work for you to do, Mr. Noah. So I want you to build an ark. And see, we know he's a preacher because 2 Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 
In 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, it says those who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. Disobedient to what? His preaching. Those who were disobedient in the days of Noah. They were not obeying something. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and these wicked people were called people who were disobedient in the days of Noah. It's pretty easy. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what they were disobeying. They were disobeying his preaching. They were disobeying probably the exhortation to come and be a part of this thing, and they were, were not going to have anything to do with it. So Noah, he did not say, well, you know, I, I don't really... He, I don't want to do this, and I don't know if I, I want to commit myself to a hundred years of preaching to people who don't want to hear it. I don't know if I want to commit myself to a hundred years of building an ark, a thing that is a boat for when it's rain, when there's never been rain. Well, I got to trust you in a big way, God, because you're asking me to build this boat thing, this ark thing, and because it's going to rain, and it's never rained. And then when people come and ask me, why are you building that? I'm going to tell them because there's going to be so much rain come down from the sky and there's going to be so much water being broke up from the aquas below and break up in the deep and come up and water coming from down and coming from up. And, and see, all they'd ever had was a mist before that. They had fog every day. And that watered everything. It kept it almost like a greenhouse effect. And everything was, they never heard of this before. You know, it'd be easy if they'd had some floods to say, I'm going to build a big boat. But they never had any floods. They didn't know what a flood was. They didn't know what this nincompoop was doing out there, building this great big huge thing. And he had to preach to them on top of it and be ridiculed and laughed at for 100 years. And you know what? It's really bad when it's your dad and you're the kids and you've got to help him. How many think you could get your kids to do something like that for 100 years? <laughs> One day would be a good... Yeah, I'd feel like I was the Superman if I could... It's called sacrifice. You can go for broke. You can go live it your way. You can go for all the gusto. You can, you know, put yourself first. You, you can be lawed in these last days. Because the Bible says this is exactly the way it's going to be in the last days. He says, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be just like Lot. It's going to be just like Noah. And we got Lot as one example, and he was all in it for himself. He didn't want anything to do. He didn't want to respect the man of God. He didn't want to stay with the man of God. He didn't want to do any of that. He wanted to go do it his way. He did. And he lost his, he had no reward in heaven. He lost his kids, and he lost all of his resources. He lost his house. He lost his farms. He lost his livestock. He lost everything. Wow. So look what it says. In verse 7, chapter 7, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen. So he said, I'm going to make my covenant with you. And it says, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And he obeyed God in everything. And we look at that, and, and it gets very interesting. And then verses 7 through 5, and it says, And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark. His family turned out a little better than, than Lot's. How many would rather have Noah's family than Lot's family? I think I'd rather have Noah's family than Lot's. Noah's kids are right there working with him for 100 years building the ark. Kind of like Lot, his kids probably did the same thing. They probably immersed themselves in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. I'll bet their heart also 
was toward Sodom. Because righteous angels, judgment? What are you talking about, Dad? Are you, are you like kind of crazy or what? You never were religious before, too religious before. The wife says, eh, I don't know if, you know, what do you mean not to? I, I want to just look one more time at that place I so loved, Sodom and Gomorrah. Toom, she becomes a pillar of salt. The daughters contrive a plan, get him drunk and molest him. I, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine a family like that. Lots of boys. You get over to Noah's boys, they were helping him. Dad, is it going to rain? Yeah, it's been 20 years. Dad, is, is there ever going to be any use for that? Yeah, it's been 50 years now. We're not just the laughing stock of the community. We're way past that. And Dad, why do you keep preaching to them? None of them are going to, do, none of them are going to repent. Dad, how, how long do you think you're going to... Are you going to keep preaching? Nobody's listening to you. Why do you keep preaching? Why do you keep building this? No one's helping us. Do you really think God's going to do this? And what is this stupid thing anyway? And you really think all the animals are just going to come out of nowhere and fill it up? Don't you suppose there was just a few times where they just really felt like this is getting out of hand? Yeah. Now, here's the, here's the end result. They all went in, in the safe seminar, they all went in. They were all saved. And if you keep on reading in Genesis 9, God makes... Uh, this covenant with them. And it says in chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, if you look at that, they became stewards over the entire earth. They didn't lose everything. They didn't lose all that they had. They just gained the whole world with no competition. Yeah. And then if you keep reading on in, in chapters 10, Noah's sons and children became the heads of nations of the earth. It says the, na they were, the nations came out of each one of their sons and grandsons. They became the nations of the earth. Noah stepped off that ark, the wealthiest, the wealthiest landowner on planet earth since Adam. No one else did he say, replenish the earth and here subdue and take dominion over the whole earth. The whole earth is yours. So he ended up with the whole earth. He ended up with a family intact. He ended up with sons that became the nations of the earth. He didn't lose anybody. And also, he obeyed God, and he helped build the ark. I believe people that help build the church, they keep their family intact. They have rewards in heaven, and God eventually blesses them financially and brings, meets all their needs according to his riches and glory. Let's stand up.